0: Today's reading comes from Mark chapter nine, verses one through 13. You can find this in your bulletin or up on the screen behind me. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And after six days, Jesus took him, Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him. Why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the son of man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, this morning we continue our study in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, what, a, what a rich book of the Bible this is. I uh, just uh, want to comment on the fact, you know, people have asked me about, you know, how things are going with the transition, and uh, this is not the last time that I will be preaching at Lake Baldwin Church, but it is the last time that I will preach to you as your senior Pastor. So Brian begins work tomorrow, and uh, I'm so excited about him joining our team. This work, this pastoral work in this growing church, we've known over the years, it's really a two-person job, and so it's going to bring great relief, it's going to bring great resources to our team, and uh, this is the culmination of a really exciting process of passing the baton to the next senior pastor. And uh, so, but I think about, the, I, I have thought about the fact that this is my last chance to preach to Lake Baldwin Church as the senior pastor. And I'm so excited about the topic for today because really the topic is worship. This is the story in Mark chapter nine of the transfiguration of Jesus and Peter and James and John are there. And this becomes for them really a worship service, a worship service that they need because of the demands and sacrifices of following Jesus all the way up to the cross. And so we have here this great story, this wonderful story of the transfiguration. But what it represents to us is a worship service. And so this morning, if you wonder what is this, who is this message for? This message is about worship and it is for all of us. It is uh, in my own heart. I have grown in my appreciation for our Sunday worship service, our Sunday gathering. Uh, I believe it is really a, a, a joyful, celebratory, exciting moment when we come together and God does amazing things in our hearts. And yet in today's culture all of us need to be reminded of the meaning of worship, the priority of worship, and the value of our Sunday morning gathering because there's a lot of other demands on your lives. There's a lot of things pulling at you. And I'm so thankful that in my final sermon as senior pastor, I actually get to hopefully cast vision for the worship of Lake Baldwin Church and also to challenge our hearts to continue to grow in our appreciation of the worship gathering. Now I know that some of you are probably wondering is there any way that Mike is going to work in an illustration this Sunday about the James Webb telescope and the pictures that we saw this week. A lot of you guys are wondering how is Mike, is he gonna really work that in? Is he gonna talk about that? Well, I actually actually think it fits great for today. So the first photos of the new James Webb Space Telescope were released just this past week. You may have seen that, but if you've missed it, if you've been sort of away from the news, this is pretty epic for mankind what has happened. Stunning images of distant galaxies that have never been seen before. We are talking um, uh, stuff that is as as old as 4.6 billion to 13 billion years, 300 million light years away. Uh, We have been able to see images and photos of galaxies that have never been seen with the human eye. And I read this quote from one person who talked about what has happened this past week and what we've seen because he ties it in to, to God as the creator, And he said, food doesn't have to be delicious. Flowers don't have to smell good. And the Carina Nebula, that's one of the images. It was called the Carina Nebula. The Carina Nebula, with its light years high, cosmic cliffs, doesn't have to be as beautiful and as mysterious as it is, but it is beautiful. And it reminds us of Psalm 19.1, it reminds us of one of the ways that God reveals himself to mankind is through the heavens, through all the stars that he has created, everything he's created. Psalm 19.1 says the heavens declare the glory of God. So these images, as we look at them, knowing that the heavens declare the glory of God, we look at these images and we go, really, if you go watch them, they are beautiful, they are radiant, and we would say that they are glorious. When we say that something has glory, what we mean is it has a splendor and a radiance in what it displays. The scientists, as they talk about this, we can see the beauty of it, but what will will come in the coming weeks, in the coming months, in the coming years will be scientific papers that will be written that extract meaning from these images. Now, I share that because God has not only revealed Himself in the creation, but really the 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 most vivid way that God has revealed Himself and revealed His glory was by coming becoming a man in Jesus Christ. And what the disciples in this passage get to see is the unveiled glory of Jesus. He is metamorpho. He he. It's a metamorphosis right before their eyes. He is this. He is. Um, transfigured right before them and they see the unveiled glory of Jesus. And it is a preview, it is a preview of the glory that is to come that we will all see. So in the transfiguration story, what's happening here is these three disciples get to see the glory of Jesus. It is better than uh, the James Webb telescope. What they get to see is God revealed so perfectly in Jesus And what we want to say this morning is that for us, for us, the worship service is our transfiguration moment. The worship service is, as Tim Keller says, a preview of all that our hearts long for. Think about this for a second. Think about the fact that God has set up the universe. Not only with those far-flung galaxies, but he has created the universe. We learn this in Genesis chapter one and Genesis chapter two. God has hardwired the universe so that one day in seven is set aside as a Sabbath for rest and for worship. That is a creation ordinance. It is uh, renewed in the 10 Commandments. We read about it throughout the Bible that God has set aside for your life as a gift to you, one day in seven, where you cease from all of your work and you rest, and you gather with the people of God to worship God. And as Tim Keller said, worship is a preview of all that our hearts long for. So what we're gonna do as we go through this passage is we're gonna see the, a worship service in four acts. I wanna quote a, uh, a fellow pastor by the name of Kevin DeYoung And he says this about worship. He says, when we, there are four things that happen with us when we go through worship. One is we approach God in awe. We approach, think about that for a second. We approach God in awe. So this morning, as we were singing, we sang Immortal, Invisible. Now, a lot of us coming to church today had a lot of other things on our minds, but what was going on as we were singing is we were seeing the glory of God and we were. We were in awe of God as we sing that he is immortal, and visible, and the other hymns that we sang this morning. So that's the first thing that happens according to Kevin DeYoung. But then he says, not only that, but we also see our sin. We come to the presence of God and we see the sin that's in our hearts where we become aware of that. So we confess our sins as we did this morning. And then thirdly, we hear the good news of the gospel. We hear it announced in our time of confession, but we also hear the gospel announced as we are right now in the sermon. We hear the good news of the gospel, and then we respond in faith and obedience. Now, isn't that simple? Those are four things that you experience in a worship service that can become your transfiguration moment. Number one, you're in awe of God, so you praise Him. Number two, we realize our sin and our need for renewal. Third, we hear the good news, which renews us and gives us a reset, and then we respond in faith and obedience. Now, as I look around this room, I know that a lot of you here are from, uh, you're not necessarily from a church background, you haven't worshiped a lot over the course of your life, and so in a way, you can walk into a worship service and it's kind of a mystery what's gonna happen. What I want to do for you this morning is I would like to take the mystery out of the worship service because I want you to be able to see, I want, you to, I want to pull the curtain aside and give you, if you will, a back lot tour of a worship service and what happens so that you can know what's going on in the worship service. For those of you that are believers in Christ and you've been part of the church for much of your life, one of the things I want to do this morning is challenge you to renew Your commitment to the worship of God. It's so easy in today's culture for our commitment to worship to slip. And so what I want to do is I want to paint for you, based upon this passage, a vision for worship for your life. And my goal is nothing short of this. I want to challenge you to make worship central in your life. I want to challenge you one day a week, one day in seven, to set it aside for rest and for worship and that you would come and engage in worship in these ways. So we're going to learn a lot from the story, the transfiguration. We're going to learn a lot from the disciples. So here's my outline. With all of that as an introduction, with the James, James Webb Space Telescope and the Kevin DeYoung quote and all of that, now we're going to walk through the passage. And what I'd like you to see is, if you will, to see worship as a four-act play. And I want to tell you what the outline is right now. Some of you are taking notes. It's just a small little box for it. But I want you to remember these four things. Number one, worship is praise. Number two, worship is renewal. Number three, worship is proclamation. And number four, worship is response. I wanna talk through those four things and think about this passage today. So number one, worship is praise. When we gather together, one of the things we experience here is that worship is praise. We spend time worshiping God. That is, we are focusing on his glory. So where do we see his glory? Well, if you look back in this passage, we see the glory of God. What's happening with these disciples is they are seeing the glory of God and the radiance of Jesus. So look back at verse two of Mark chapter nine. It says, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, and he led them up a high mountain. Because remember, Jesus wants these disciples to experience something, to have this experience, a high mountain by themselves. And it says he was transfigured before them. So what is going on? They're getting a vision of the unveiled glory of God revealed in Jesus. They're getting this, this, this amazing picture. So look at verse three. It says, his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. So Jesus is suddenly being transfigured before their eyes. They see the unveiled glory and dignity of Jesus and they are in awe of him. So that's what happens in worship. We come together to experience the awe of Jesus. That's our transfiguration. They also see his glory though in this passage in the story of redemption. So I want you to keep on reading there in verse four. It says, there appeared to them Elijah with Moses and they were talking with Jesus. So what's happening in verse four is you see Moses who who represented, if you will, the Old Testament Mosaic law, and then you see Elijah representing the prophets, and you see the whole story of the Bible, and so we look at that, and in worship, one of the things we need to see is we need to see a greater story, and that is the story of redemption as revealed in the Bible, and so Jesus' coming is consistent with The law and the prophets, with Moses and Elijah, and here they are, and the disciples get to see Moses and Elijah there. So we see the continuity between Jesus and Moses and Elijah. That is the Old Testament, but then they then they leave the stage, and a little bit later, all they see is Jesus only, and they realize that. The gospel of Jesus has supplanted the entire Old Testament story and it has reached its fulfillment in Jesus. And they see the glory of Jesus alone, apart from Moses and Elijah. There's a third way that they see the glory of God and the glory of Jesus in this passage. And I want you to notice uh, what it says about when the Father appears to them in a cloud. It says in verse 7, a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. So this cloud is the appearance of God the Father, as he did was at the baptism of Jesus. As he appeared at Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus, the Father appears. But look at what the Father says. A cloud overshadowed them. A voice came out of the cloud that said, this is my beloved Son. Listen to him. And one of the things we see in this passage is the fact that God the Father calls Jesus his beloved son. And we learn from this to treasure Jesus the way God the Father treasured him. You see, once again, we see the glory of Jesus in this story. And it says in verse 8, Suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus alone, Jesus only. We need to remember the glory of Jesus in this story. We need, it says in the Matthew account that they were terrified, they were in awe of Jesus. And then Jesus comforted them. We need to remember the glory of Jesus in this story and we need to be able to respond with praise. I wanna share with you, you might say, well, you know, Mike, I'm not sure how this fits together because I'm not at the transfiguration. All I have is, you know, the disciples are now my James Webb telescope and they're telling us about this. But how does this work for regular people throughout the Bible, regular people in Orlando? And I want to read to you a couple of psalms. Listen carefully to Psalm 96, verses 7 through 9. And it talks about this, part- this first act of the worship service. And it says, Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. You see, the call of scripture is for all of us to ascribe to the Lord the glory that is due his name. Psalm 100, listen to these words from Psalm 100. It says, make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. So that's what goes on in a worship service. That is why we start the worship service with singing and praising God. I remember when uh, Molly and I and our children, our four children, moved to Orlando in 1994. And we decided we would check out the churches. And so we decided to check out a church um, called Northland Church. A lot of you are familiar with it. And we attended that worship service. And even back then, it was a mega church. And we went into that worship service and we sat there and uh, we heard Joel Hunter preach and uh, we this amazing music and we thought, this is just incredible being able to praise God as part of this worship service. And we walked out of the service and as we always do, our, we asked our kids, what do, you, what do you think of the worship service? And one of our kids said, you know, I just wasn't that into it, it was boring, that, all this kind of stuff. Well, our seven-year-old daughter, Sarah, responded to sort of the moaning and groaning that was there in our family and she just had the smile on her face and she said we were just praising we were just praising and I will never forget that you see how wonderful it is when we can engage in the fact it doesn't matter how entertaining the music is it doesn't matter how cool it is it doesn't matter if we have like cool slides or anything like that what matters is like my, my seven-year-old daughter says, is that we're coming together and we're praising God, we're giving him glory. This is why worship is so important for our hearts, because a lot of us, as we go through our week, our hearts become cold. Some of you might remember the analogy of how coals, when they're together on a fire, they remain warm, but if you take one coal off and set it off to the side, the fire goes out on that coal. And see, that's why we need worship every Sunday, because what we need is we need to come together in person, and we need to have that that flame of love for God and passion for God and praising God just sort of stirred up in our hearts. So you've probably noticed that when you're isolated from worship, when you're isolated from fellowship, that fire goes out. I think of... Uh, I think it's great that we have a live stream, for example, and we appreciate all that are watching by live stream. We've made a decision to keep our live stream going because it's so helpful to people when they're sick, when they're traveling, when they're missing church. But I have a little bit of a nudge for you, a little bit of encouragement, is I would encourage you to not use the live stream simply for convenience. Just because you can kind of stay at home and it's a lot easier because the live stream over time is not the same as gathering together for an embodied worship service where we're all together, where all the coals are coming together. So I want you to think about that for your life as you, as you plan out your life to not sort of fall back on, as a result of COVID, just the convenience of not coming to church, because we need the fellowship, we need to gather together, and that stirs our heart. So behind the scenes, what's going on, worship is praise, is as you saw this morning, Lydia led us in a call to worship, an invocation, which is opening prayer, and then songs that lead us in praise to God. It's as simple as that. Another word of encouragement for you is as you plan out your Sunday, think of it like if you were gonna be on a plane flight, you know how they have a boarding time, and then, you know, then the plane flight takes off and they, and they close the doors. We don't close the doors here, because we know that there's a lot of good reasons that people are late. But we would encourage you, I would encourage you to realize that in that call to worship, we're being led up the mountain by Jesus. The King is calling us into his presence. That call to worship is not just some formal ritual. We are listening to God himself calling us into his presence to praise him so Plan out your morning on Sundays to be here in your seats preparing your heart and ready to respond to that call to worship. The worship service is not like a movie theater where if you just come and hear the sermon you've just missed the previews, it's not like that. The whole thing is telling one story and our hearts need that story. So number one, worship is praise and we see how they see the glory of God in this passage. The second thing that we see though in this passage, and this is what we hope will engage your heart every Sunday in worship, is that worship is renewal. How many of you know that deep down in your heart, you need to be renewed in your love for Jesus? You need to be renewed in your faith. How many of you know that over the course of the week, we get off track and we need a reset? Now we see that in the life of Peter here, so look back in the passage. When they see the glory of Jesus, Notice what it says in verse 5, look at what Peter did. Now Peter is the one who last week said, you know, he didn't want Jesus to go to the cross and he was really representing Satan's perspective. So Peter is is just like impulsive, self-willed, wants to do what he wants to do. Now this time he's trying to be a little bit more positive, come up with a cool plan, but Peter has a project in mind. He's got something that he suggests that he wants to do. It says, uh, and Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, you might say, why is that not a good idea? Well, number one, the plan of God is still to redeem the world. And so Jesus is going to go down from that mountain. He's going to go to the cross. And that is why the disciples need to experience his glory. But Peter is saying, no, let's just stay here on the mountain. So the first thing that Peter is getting wrong with his project and with his agenda is he's saying, I don't want the cross, I just want the glory, and I don't want to go down from the mountain. But the second thing that Peter does, and this this I learned from uh, Dale Bruner, who is one of my favorite commentators on the Gospels. He talks about how the fact that what Peter wants to do is set up three tents. One for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for Jesus. And so what, what, what ha- is happening with Peter is what, what Dale Bruner calls syncretism. In other words, it's Jesus plus this and plus this. And so what, what, in effect, Peter is saying is that my allegiance is gonna be to Moses and to Elijah and to Jesus. We, we learn later it says, no, our allegiance is to be Jesus only, is to, is to be to him. Now the reason we have our time of confession is that all of us in this room fall into the error of Peter. Number one, we don't want to go the way of God, we want to go our own way. But number two, we have competing stories and competing allegiances. So when you are out there in the world, you're hearing a different story, you're hearing stories of success, you're hearing stories of political solutions, you're hearing stories on social media, you're hearing all sorts of different stories out there that are like worship liturgies that are shaping your life, and what you need is to come into a worship service and hear a redemptive story, to hear a better story and have that tune and reset your heart. So I think that's what's happening with Peter here, Peter is getting a reset so he learns from God the Father. There's only Jesus left, and listen to him. So remember this about the worship service. What is happening in the service is you are not here to be entertained. This is not, we're not watching Hamilton here. This is not a Paul McCartney concert. This is actually an opportunity for you to engage your heart and for worship to form your life and to form your heart because it tells us, a better story, a story of sin and redemption, and we need to continually have our hearts reset by that story. So what does that look like in our worship service? Well, we said, first of all, worship is praise, so there's a call to worship, and there's singing, and we're ascribing to him glory. But for renewal, the way that happens in our worship service, and we would never do away with this, is there's a time of corporate confession of sin where we acknowledge that all of us have had our hearts In a way allured and captured and tempted by these competing stories that are out in the world we all have our idols of success and approval or whatever those things might be things that we put before God and so the confession time for me is is practically my most favorite part of the worship service when we confess our sins Corporately, it allows me to search my heart, and like Peter, I'm going through a very much needed reset of my heart. And so, I have the confession, and then we all stand together, and the gospel, the good news, is announced to us. We call that gospel assurance and we hear that good news of the gospel and we experience the redemption of the gospel. That is how change takes place. That is the gospel story. That is something we need every week. Worship is renewal. Let's go on to the third thing. We've said first of all worship is praise where we see the glory of God. We've said secondly worship is renewal. The third thing we wanna say here is that worship is proclamation. Worship involves proclamation of the word of God. Notice what happens here. Jesus has taken them up to a mountain. In the scriptures, Mount Sinai, the Sermon on the Mount, and here, the Mount of Transfiguration, often in scripture, the mountain is a place of revelation. God is revealing himself, so Jesus is transfigured. We see his unveiled glory, and then we also see God appearing in a cloud on this mountain and God is revealing himself here. The message of the transfiguration story is is loud and clear. Look again at verse seven, if you would. It says, a cloud overshadowed them and a voice came out of the cloud. So what they need to do is they need to listen to the voice. They need to be tuned in to the voice of God because a mountain is a place of revelation. So a voice came out of the cloud that says, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Listen to him. Now how do we listen to Jesus in the context of a worship service? Here's how we hear the word of Jesus, and you see this, and this is is how commentators understand this passage. We all need to hear revelations from God, we need to hear the word of Jesus. So let me tell you how we hear the word of Jesus in our worship service, and how badly we need it. We hear the word in substantive songs. When we sang Immortal, Invisible this morning, we are being instructed by those songs. We also need to be instructed in readings, and so we have readings of scripture. Those are not just formalities, those are not just rituals, but we're hearing these readings of scripture as we go through our worship service. Sometimes we actually will review the catechisms of the church, like the Heidelberg Catechism or other catechisms. For example, the Apostles' Creed, which we stand up and confess every month when we take communion. There are creeds and there are catechisms that teach us and that instruct us. Galatians chapter 6 talks about that, how... What teaching does is it catechizes us, it actually uses that word because over the centuries the ancient church has wrestled with great doctrines of the faith and they can be retaught. That's the purpose of those creeds and those catechisms. We also hear the word in the sacraments, that is baptism and the Lord's Supper because Theologians say that sacraments are visible words. So we saw two baptisms this morning. And what those baptisms are, they are sacraments, visible words that preach to us the gospel. And that's one of the ways that we hear Jesus. And finally, the preaching of the word. The preaching of the word. We believe in expository preaching, meaning we believe in taking the text of the Bible and explaining what it says, illustrating it, and applying it to our lives, and this is what feeds our soul. You know, uh, next week, Brian Lumshu Chan, our new senior pastor, is going to be preaching, and I am going to take the same approach to Brian that I have taken to every pastor I've ever sat under, because whenever, whenever I think about who is my favorite preacher, who do I want to listen to the most, what do I want to listen to? I don't go to famous people. I don't go to John Piper. I don't go to Andy Stanley. I don't go to like all of the stars that are out there. My favorite preacher is always my local church pastor. The reason for that is I know him and he knows me. Now, it doesn't mean that I'm going to can't benefit from others, but for me, first and foremost, maybe not exclusively, but first and foremost, I'm gonna read books, I'm gonna to listen to podcasts and all that, but first and foremost, for me, my favorite preacher is gonna be Brian Lumshu Chan. I'm gonna come here and Molly and I are gonna fight over where to sit because I like to sit up front and all that kind of stuff, but we'll figure out where we're gonna sit, but I am so excited about next Sunday hearing Brian preach the next passage in the Gospel of Mark, why? Because Brian believes in expository preaching, and he's going to teach the Word, and he's going to illustrate it, and this is one of the ways that Jesus speaks to us is through the Word. So I'm so excited about that. So worship is proclamation, and we see that here in this passage. We see it hopefully every week in our church. So he said worship is praise, worship is renewal, worship is proclamation, and finally, the last thing about worship is worship is response. Now let me comment one more time because notice what God says to the disciples in this passage. He says, this is my beloved son, listen, listen to him. Now you parents, when you say to your kids, would you listen to me? What you don't necessarily, or what you're not necessarily saying is that they just need to hear you and ignore you. No, you want them to listen to you, to take it to heart, and to obey. So the idea of listening to God's word in the Bible involves not just one thing, but three things. First, it involves listening with your ears. I would really encourage you as you listen to God's word to take notes, to write things down, to remember things, to take them with you, because it helps us listen with our ears. But secondly, listening involves believing with our hearts believing with our hearts. We're hearing the word of God and the call to really listen is to believe the word of God with our hearts and then finally, to obey with our actions, to obey with our actions. And so that is the response that we have in worship. For the disciples in this passage, listening to the word meant that they would follow Jesus to the cross. Because they wanted to just stay on the mountain. But no, their listening was, listen to him, listen to him only, and follow Jesus to the cross. For you and me, every Sunday when we hear the word of God preached, we listen to him and we obey him by following him in obedience and into his mission in the world. We gather. So in a way, the worship service is a lot like if you're going to send a spacecraft, let's say from from Earth to Pluto or Uranus or to the outer reaches of our solar system, one of the things you have to do is use the gravitational pull of a big planet like Jupiter. And you go past Jupiter, you feel that pull, you pick up speed, and then it hurdles you out into outer space. In a way, as I challenge you at the beginning of of this service to make the worship service central to your life, worship is like your Jupiter. It is there to attract you in and to draw you in and to see the glory of Jesus. But then the worship service hurdles you out and it hurls you out into the world to obey Jesus and to be part of his mission. And that is why a worship service one day in seven is such a good rhythm for us. Now, how does this fit in at the end? Well, we respond in all kinds of ways. We respond with giving. But we also have a benediction at the end of the service, and once again, that is not a pointless ritual. That is not something that's just like a prelude to going out to lunch. A lot of us here, when we hear a benediction, we open up our hands like this. Why? The benediction, as Molly would say, is a mystical moment. It is a work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Because we cannot obey God without the power of the gospel, without the power of the Holy Spirit. And so that benediction is that special moment where we feel the power of God. Worship is praise. Worship is renewal. Worship is proclamation. And worship is response. So a final question as we wrap up. Did you notice that these three disciples were led up to the mountain? by Jesus. I love what Richard Hostetter has to say about this passage. He says that, you know what? Every Sunday, Jesus leads all of us up that mountain to worship God. How about you? Will you let Jesus every Sunday, unless providentially hindered, to be led up that mountain to see his glory and to praise him and to have that reset in your life? to hear the preached word and to respond in faith and obedience, let's pray together. Lord, what a story, what a story of glory, what a preview of glory. But I pray, Lord, for each of our hearts and for this worship service at Lake Baldwin Church in the coming years. We pray that this worship service would be for all who come here a preview where we experience the power of the Spirits, where we experience your glory, and that it would be a preview of that great glory that is to come when we won't just see in a mirror dimly, but our eyes will be completely open to the radiance of your glory. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.